Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The extension network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 4,000 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. We are pleased to have you join us this season for our spring summer edition of It's Time For You. With over 70,000 listens on our podcast, we thank you for joining us. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about a research project being undertaken by CSIRO with support from CSIRO and MLA. We're going to be talking all about autumn lambing and the consequences it may have for animal health. To take us through the research project, I'll be joined by CSIRO's doctors, Peter Hunt and Lucy Watt. Peter is currently the co-lead of the CSIRO Agriculture Livestock Health Team and a coordinator of the CSIRO AgriPest Challenge Initiative. He has conducted research in livestock health since moving to CSIRO at Armadale in 2002. The research topics he has addressed have varied widely from molecular diagnostic to genetic improvement and agricultural systems work, mostly for the sheep and free range poultry industries. Lucy is a research scientist with CSIRO as well in their agriculture and food division based in Toowoomba in Queensland. Her research focuses on improving the productivity and sustainability of crop livestock farming enterprises through better integration of forages, crops and pastures that benefit animal production and health and cropping rotations. Welcome Peter and Lucy and thank you so much for joining me today on It's Time For You. Thanks Fiona, it's great to be here. Yeah, thanks very much, Fiona. We'll kick off with you, Peter. You're the coordinator, as I said in the introduction, for CSIRO's AgriPest Challenge Initiative. Can you tell our listeners what it's all about and how your current project fits into its strategies? Yes, yeah, so the AgriPest Challenge is a thing that's, that's happening. Um, it's perhaps not new, but uh, it is becoming more important with time, I think. So uh, we have a big reliance on the use of, of chemical options for controlling weeds, pests and diseases on farms, and that includes parasites in, in sheep and cattle. That's not a problem in itself, but resistance is developing against a lot of the chemical options. And so that limits our use of them going forward into the future. At the same time, the process of developing new chemicals is, is quite slow. And it's really a bit of a challenge for the companies that do that because new products have to fit with the farm practices and they also have to be sold at the right price. So it, it can be quite difficult to produce new uh, new chemicals in a timely way to match the, um, the progress of resistance. Also, some of our market requirements are limiting the use of some of the, some of the chemical products. So that's another limitation. So we really need a future where we look at a whole lot of new ways of dealing with weeds, pests and diseases on farms. And those ways will vary widely from industry to industry. This particular project is about trying to limit exposure of lambs to summer predominant diseases, such as 
fly strike and barber's pole worm. And so we've explored lambing earlier in autumn instead of in spring to try and avoid those diseases. You just mentioned a few of the goals there, Peter, of the project, but in the beginning, what did you set out to look at? So we did look at, we did set out to look at the difference between um, autumn and spring lambing and the consequences of that for animal health, both for the ewes and the lambs. We had this idea that autumn lambing would be better for the lambs exposure to diseases, but we had no idea how that would affect ewe health. So we wanted to study that as well. And we wanted to make sure that the production uh, system wasn't affected negatively so that we still produce as much wool and as much lamb as we would otherwise. We knew already that there was a gap in um, the availability of feed in the winter time potentially, and that that would affect the, your ability to produce autumn lambs. So we also explored the use of dual purpose crops to feed those lambs through the winter and therefore uh, achieve success. And so that's where some of the modeling um, that, that Lucy will describe comes in. Peter, the challenge I suppose with this type of project first up would be autumn lambing means you're mating out of season for us who lamb normally in spring. How did you overcome the issues with day length in the trial? Yes, so sheep are seasonal breeders, so it's a lot um, more effective uh, to mate sheep in the autumn when the day lengths are getting shorter, and so therefore lambs are born in the spring. So to overcome that though, you can use a melatonin implant. So these were developed in the 1980s, uh, and Australia played a big role in developing that product. Uh, it's available at stock and station agents. You implant it in the ears of both the ewes and the rams, and you can achieve much better lambing percentages even when you mate in the spring and the, and the early summer. So December was the time we were mating, and we achieved quite good outcomes using that approach. Now your trial, Peter, has a couple of components which you've touched on. So there's the field trial and then modelling, which we're going to get Lucy to talk about as we go through here. So we might chop and change a bit between the two of you. But can you start by telling our listeners a bit about how the field trial was set up? Okay, so we wanted to test the spring versus autumn lambing. And we also wanted to test the provision of dual purpose crops in the summer rainfall, um, high rainfall zone, so the northern tablelands of New South Wales, uh, compared to not having those dual purpose crops. Much work on dual purpose crops has been done further south, uh, but I think um, it's the first time that we've trial, trialled this in the New England. So we had eight farmlets and each one housed 20 ewes, and those 20 ewes stayed there uh, for their whole, whole lives and so did the, the lambs up until sale. So we, we were, had an enclosed area that we were grazing. Each one of those farmlets had eight sub paddocks that we could divide them into, and we grazed rotationally through those paddocks as the feed uh, became uh, exhausted. In two of those plots for those four farmlets where we had the dual purpose crops, we sowed either canola or wheat, 
So they had six plots with pasture. The other um, farmlets had eight plots with pasture. And the other two plots for the dual purpose crop farmlets had either canola or wheat in any one year. Now, side by side with that field work was a really important component, which was the computer modelling, which Lucy, I'll bring you into the podcast now. This was your sort of area of expertise was doing the modelling. What did you set out to investigate alongside the field work? Yeah, thanks, Fiona. So I'm involved in a number of different parts of the modelling work for this project, uh, both the feed base and also livestock production modelling, but also looking at the animal health implications, both in, in terms of the fly strike risk and also nematode risk. I guess the initial um, modelling that I did for the project was identifying what the optimal lambing time was in autumn and also spring, um, which then fed into what Peter did in the field. And that was based on the feed supply and also the demand for um, the sheep enterprise system. And that was both uh, looking at the pasture only system and also the pasture um, plus dual purpose crop system, which Peter's just described. So I identified in that um, initial bit of modelling work that uh, late autumn, which um, was May, was uh, best for the autumn lambing system and for the early spring, um, early spring, sorry, for the spring lambing system. So that was in late August to early September. So I've also been working um, for a little while now building a whole farm systems model in a program called AppSim. Um, some of our listeners may be familiar with, uh, with that modelling framework. But what the framework allows me to simulate is both the feed base, including uh, the pastures and also the dual purpose crops, as well as the livestock production of that as well, um, lambs as well as ewes, and also the gross margins of the whole system. So what I do is I run the my whole farm model over 30 years. Um, I take a lot of those outputs to look at the, the livestock production and also the gross margins. But I then also use a lot of those outputs uh, which are fed into a separate nematode model and also a fly strike model as well. And um, looking at how the different feed bases and landing systems impact on animal health and also the costs associated um, with that as well. So we're actually using the risk management model for nematodes for the nematode work. Um, that was a lot of work that was done some time ago by Rob Dobson, who was previously um, at CSIRO. And the fly strike um, work is being done together with Brian Horton from um, TIA in Tasmania. We've found from uh, these, uh, from the animal health modeling part that lamb date is really important uh, for the fly strike model. Um, because really the amount of time animals spend on farm is going to expose them more to the risk of fly strike, especially over that summer period. Uh, but the nematode model is a little bit more complex uh, in that it requires a lot more information like the average sale date for the lambs, for the different lambing times, and also the different feed-based systems. But it also takes into consideration the paddock rotation. Uh, so whether you're just rotating between pasture paddocks or whether you're rotating between pasture paddocks and also the crop um, and also stocking rates as well. Um, we know that higher stocking rates generally mean um, a lot higher risk of nematode um, infestations in, in flocks. So uh, we were originally looking at Armadale, as Peter um, mentioned, that's where our trial site is located. 
um, but I've actually expanded that to test it more broadly across a range of different environments, um, four different environments to be exact, um, and they vary in total rainfall and also rainfall distribution, uh, that being either the summer dominant uh, versus uh, winter dominant rainfall areas. So it's a it's a really interesting piece of work and you know modelling um, enables us to be able to look at systems more broadly and over more years um, you know where field trials tend to be very expensive and laborious and um, you know I guess modelling gives us a, a a good solution or a good direction of, of where we're heading um, when we're looking at work such as this. You certainly have a huge job on your hands there, Lucy, and it's um, wonderful, as you said, that modelling can help widen things out quite easily, which field trials can't do. So really interesting to see that you're doing it across a number of different climatic zones as well. So, Peter, if we go back to you, we've seen what the modelling could do. When we look back at the field trial, what were the effects on the time of lambing for, say, lambage percentage? Yes, thanks Fiona. So the outcomes of the lambing were uh, quite encouraging. We achieved a 131% um, uh, marking percentage for the autumn lambs and 112% marking percentage for the spring lambs. So there really is no penalty for, for lambing in the, the autumn. So that part of the equation looked, looked pretty good to us and that's over three years that we've um, conducted the trial so far. And how far through the trial are you? We probably should have said that closer up to the beginning. Is this the final year or have you got a couple more to go? Yeah, so we're in the final year. So we've the lambing um, results are, they are the final results of the project. We're waiting on another summer to uh, finish the animal health results and uh, the final lamb sale results. So we've got two years worth of data for the, um, for most things, but three years already now for the reproduction data. Lucy, you did some modelling on animal health. What were the effects of time of lambing on production losses due to parasites? Yeah, thanks Fiona. So we've only completed some preliminary work for Armadale so far on this, um, but we're currently working on modelling both nematode and also fly strike risk for all those four locations that I mentioned before, and also at different stocking rates. So um, despite it only being some preliminary work, um, for Armadale, what we found is actually really interesting. Um, we found that autumn lambing reduces fly strike cost, um, and that's both loss and also treatment costs, by about 75% compared to spring lambing systems. And we, when we look at this um, in terms of the feed base, autumn-born lambs with access to pasture and also dual-purpose crops, they generally grow faster um, and that means that the risks are even lower in that system um, because they meet their target uh, weight sooner and that means that they can be sold earlier, so in that early mid-December period. Spring-born lambs um, in comparison have to be carried through summer and that's where the risks of fly strike are really high and it also means that they require more treatments, so I guess that's the differences that we're seeing. When we look at nematodes, and we're looking specifically at Barber's pollworm, in Armadale, we found that lamb meat losses associated with nematode infections are up to four times higher in a spring lambing system compared to an autumn lambing system. And you know that's a that's a huge um, huge difference when we're talking about the impact on animal health and also welfare. 
So we're now looking more closely at how the integration of those dual purpose crops influences also the nematode risks, um, as animals are generally rotated more frequently between pasture paddocks and also crop paddocks. But we're also expecting that there could be a bit of a crop penalty associated with dual purpose crops, as it actually reduces the amount of land available for grazing over that summer period. And this could increase nematode risks, especially at higher stocking rates, as there's more animals on less area of land. And as I mentioned before, um, you know, higher stocking rates are, are generally associated with um, more nematode infections as well. Um, even though ewes have access to stubble um, grazing as well, we're just not entirely sure exactly how the integration of dual purpose crops is going to influence that result. But yeah, we're really keen to see where this takes us. So Lucy, you've done a lot of modelling on production. Could you give us a little bit of an overview on the effect of time and lambing and what it looks like for some of those traits? Yeah, definitely. So my um, whole farm model, which I described before, um, so I've been looking at livestock production and also the feed base um, with that more recently. Um, in Armidale, uh, we actually found that allocating 25% of your land to dual purpose crops, which can be grazed in winter, improved total farm gross margins compared to the pasture only system. Um, it was especially the case in autumn lambing systems, um, you know, where we were actually able to lamb um, the ewes, or the ewes were able to lamb down, sorry, on the dual purpose crop, um, and then the lambs grazed that dual purpose crop through the winter period. Um, and we also found those findings were quite similar to another location in the study, which was Goulburn. Um, the reasons for these differences is because autumn-born lambs with access to the dual-purpose crops actually grow faster than spring-born lambs. So we have a high percentage of lambs that actually meet that target live weight. Um, and we also found that the supplementation of the system is also much lower uh, than the spring system. And also, you know, just um, the pasture-only systems as well. There's also some additional benefits, um, I guess, to the pasture and dual purpose crop system in that you get profits also from grain production. Um, and that's a massive driver as well of those gross margins. The findings were a little different for places like Galagambone and Tamora. Um, in Galagambone, we didn't really see much of a difference between the two lambing systems or the pasture and um, pasture plus dual purpose crop systems. But in Tamora, uh, again, we found that integrating dual purpose crops um, for both autumn and spring lambing systems really improved total farm profits. Um, but there was really little difference between autumn and spring lambing systems. Um, in terms of profits, they were, they were pretty much the same. I guess a thing that I really want to um, you know, mention is that the feed base is the biggest driver of any systems change. So although we show here that there, um, there are benefits of dual purpose crops, I guess the types of pastures and also other forages growing on farm will also influence the ability um, of producers to shift lambing time um, to avoid that excessive supplementary feed cost. Um, you know, diversifying the feed base is key and I, and I guess, you know, it brings about um, opportunities to be able to change our lambing time to have those animal health benefits, which, you know, Peter's described. Um, we've got some big challenges ahead of us, so I think it it, it takes, a, takes, you know, a bit of time to make these changes, but I, there's definitely opportunity to do so. And, um, you know, that's what my modelling is really finding. And of course, your modelling takes over 30 years, as we've said, which is fantastic, because something I was just mindful of there, we've had some pretty crazy years in the last few years, which Peter would have really affected, no doubt, and had some really good impacts on your trial work, whereas the modelling is averaged over the 30 years. So it's um, 
it's um, hiding some of those effects a little bit more. Yeah, that's certainly true. The first year of these of the work we're just talking about today was the severe drought year 2019. Uh, the second year, 2020, was quite wet. Uh, and the first part of 2021 so far has been extremely wet. So that's affected things. Um, in fact, the, the cropping um, has been less than ideal in all of those years. It proved really useful for extra drought feed in the first year, especially the canola, which survived the drought and, and sprouted again when the drought broke in, in early 2020. Um, the, um, the wet years though, the 2020 and 2021 have delayed sowing uh, substantially and affected the ability of that crop to produce forage for the sheep. On the other hand, the, the pasture growth in those two years has been really, really good and we didn't really see a winter feed cap. What we did experience for the autumn production system was a bit of a feed gap in late spring in 2020, and that resulted in some expenditure on supplementary feed for those guys. And Peter, with the extremes in climate that you've experienced throughout the field trial, have you managed to see some consistent effects of lambing time on animal health? Yes, we have. So despite those those crazy set of years, as you described them, um, the, the real standout is the number of times the lambs needed to be drenched. So in 2019, uh, we didn't drench the autumn lambs at all. So none of those four groups of autumn lambs needed drenching. Uh, we did regular flock monitors to see whether they needed drenching and they never did. In contrast, the spring years, spring lambs in those same years um, needed drenching three times. All, all four groups needed drenching three times. In the 2020 drop for the autumn lambs, one group needed drenching once and none of the other groups needed drenching at all. So one out of four groups had a drench. In the spring lambs, um, they were drenched either two or four times, um, depending on which group it was. So there was a really big difference there. When it came to um, the lambs for fly strike, these were crossbred lambs out of merino dams and they didn't really experience much fly strike. So that was, um, that there was not much of a difference between autumn and spring. So we also looked at the ewes to make sure that there hadn't been a, a negative effect on the ewes. When we look at drenching for the ewes, we see very similar patterns in the autumn and the spring lambing ewes. They're not very different at all. In the first year, when the first year they didn't really need a drench at all, we did give them one to introduce them to the, the new farmlets, but that's all. Uh, in the second year, they all needed drenching between two and four times. When we look at fly strike, in the first year, we had one ewe out of uh, 80 of the autumn lambers who, who was struck, and the spring uh, system, we had three. In that year, we used a preventative to to reduce fly strike. In the second year, we weren't able to use that preventative because of a resistance concern. And so in that year, we had one, again, one autumn lambing ewe was struck, but seven spring lambing ewes were struck. These are small numbers, so it's not clear at all whether this is a statistical difference. But certainly, it confirms that the autumn lamb, lambing ewes are not 
worse off because of because of that system compared to the spring lambing use. Peter, did you look at different production traits as you went through? For example, um, were there any effects on wool production? Yes, so it was really important for us to see whether there were any trade-offs against production. So we looked at um, fleece weight in all these ewes um, for the, the two cycles that we've been able to go through so far. And the um, autumn lambing ewes in the first year had about a half a kilo heavier fleece than the spring lambing ewes. And in the second year, it was about a two kilo heavier fleece. So the main thing we were concerned about is that autumn wasn't penalising the ewes, autumn lambing rather, wasn't penalising the ewes. And certainly we can confirm that. Um, there's probably no huge advantage in uh, fleece weight for, for grazing in, um, sorry, for lambing in autumn. If we uh, look at lamb performance, on the other hand, there's, there's some pretty favourable differences there as well. So when we look at the growth rate from birth, the autumn lambs grew on average about 175 grams per day, whereas the spring lambs grew at 161. When we look at the final value that we got for those lambs, so this is including not just their carcass weights, but also the prices we achieved at different times of the year, we got on average $174 per lamb for the autumn uh, lambs and $161 per lamb for the spring lambs. Now that does reflect a price difference as well as a, a carcass weight difference. We consistently, in both years, we've seen a higher price for our autumn lambs per kilo than for our spring lambs. I'm not sure if that's a general principle over time, but certainly that's what happened in the 2020 and 2021 sales that we've had so far. And Peter, I'm really mindful that the trial hasn't been completed yet. You've still got a little bit to go, but have is it too early? Have you formed any conclusions yet? So I think we can conclude that there is no uh, negative of autumn lambing compared to spring lambing, providing it's done uh, effectively. Um, following best industry practice. I think the use of the melatonin implants is probably important. It's been uh, part of uh, recommended practice for autumn lambing for a couple of decades now. So I think it's established. Um, plus the normal practices around looking after animals, doing flock monitors before you do drenching, checking them regularly for fly strike and treating them. That all those things have to be followed, of course. But all those things being equal, um, there is no penalty for autumn lambing. And we've seen a couple of years in a row here where there was an advantage. Thanks, Peter and Lucy, for joining us today on It's Time For You. It was great to hear about your research report and what's going on behind the scene in industry so we're really grateful that you've joined and shared your knowledge with our listeners no problem thanks fiona thanks very much fiona we hope you have enjoyed this episode of it's time for you the sheep connect new south wales podcast if you haven't done so already rate and review us on itunes 
We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Australian Wool Innovation Podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au and you can find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events during the year. Thank you again for joining us today. Bye for now. Bye.